Baseball Tonight, the podcast. Hi, welcome to the Baseball Tonight podcast. It is Monday, August the 15th. A happy birthday to Chris Singleton, our dear friend. And another happy birthday to Jeff Hewson, broadcaster for the Colorado Rockies. Happy birthday, boys. And today we are going to, I'm pinch hitting for Buster Olney today. Buster has gone to Lake George uh, for a, a really nice family vacation. I'll be shocked if, if Buster's able to relax. He's even worse than I am at relaxing. But uh, have a great time at Lake George, Buster. Enjoy yourself. And today on the show, we're going to talk to Carl Ravitch, the voice of all things baseball at ESPN, but especially this week. The Little League World Series begins Wednesday in Williamsport and will also be joined by his primary analyst on those games at the Little League World Series, Kyle Peterson. Love those two guys. Love being in the booth with them in Williamsport. Hopefully that will work out for me this year. But before we get to the Little League World Series, it was a great weekend, as always, in Major League Baseball, including the Sunday night game in which the Red Sox beat the Yankees three to nothing in a Sunday night game that lasted two hours and 15 minutes. I can't remember a game lasting such a short amount of time on Sunday night baseball. The Red Sox won last night in part because Michael Walker, who has been great at Fenway Park this season, was absolutely brilliant last night. His changeup was great, as it always is, and he really handled the Yankees. The one-two. Swing and a miss. Waka strikes out at Duhar. They go one-two-three. He has struck out nine, and Michael Waka seven shutout innings. On this date, 10 years ago, Felix Hernandez of the Mariners threw the last perfect game in Major League Baseball. And yesterday at Tropicana Field, Drew Rasmussen of the Rays took a no-hitter, a perfect game, into the ninth inning yesterday. He had never gotten an out in the eighth inning of his career, 30 starts, but he was absolutely brilliant and efficient yesterday. And Jorge Mateo led off the ninth inning with a double down the left field line to break up the perfect game. No perfecto for Rasmussen, but just another reminder, that guy is really good. And his stuff yesterday was spectacular. The right-hander's pitch. Swing a high drive straightaway center. Looks to be playable. Siri backpedaling in front of the track. 21 in a row. To start the day for Drew Rasmussen. He has thrown seven perfect innings. Here it is. Swinging a ground ball to first choice. Got it. He goes to the bag and eight perfect innings for Drew Rasmussen. My goodness, has he been spectacular. And here is Jorge Mateo breaking up that perfect game to lead off the ninth inning. And the first pitch of this ninth is grounded fair. Right down the third baseline by the dive of the third baseman Diaz. And into the corner. Over to go get it is Peralta and into second base with a double is Jorge Mateo as he breaks up the perfect game on the first pitch of the ninth inning. Yesterday, the ageless Albert Pujols had a multi-homer game. His second multi-homer game 
of the season. He is the oldest player in the major leagues at age 42. Barry Bonds is the only player older to have more multiple home run games in one season than Albert Pujols, and this one was his second one of the game. The pitch on the way. Pujols swings and hits a drive. Deep left center field. It's long, long, gone! A home run! Three-run homer! Albert Pujols, sensational! Six to two Cardinals! The Mets pitching staff had a great weekend against the Phillies. Three games, they allowed a total of two runs, including back-to-back shutouts Saturday and Sunday. Jacob deGrom pitched on Saturday, and it was preposterous how good he looked. 100 miles an hour with a slider, 94, 95, 96, nobody. And I mean nobody can hit that guy when he's right. He has faced 56 batters this year and struck out 28. This is part of Jacob deGrom on Saturday. DeGrom holds the set, now the pitch. Swung at him, missed by three. Got him with a slider. Strikeout number 10 for Jacob DeGrom. The 55th time in his brilliant career that he has struck out 10 or more in a game. On Sunday, the Mets' Francisco Lindor drove in his 82nd run of the season. That is the most RBIs by a primary shortstop by the Mets in any season in their history. And he's got seven more weeks to go in this regular season. Lindor has had a terrific year and had a big Sunday. Francisco Lindor, switch hitter, batting left. First pitch, swing on a high fly ball to shallow right. Castellanos broke out, charging in. He won't get it. It's a base hit, and in the score is Nimmo. Lindor holds on at first, and Francisco Lindor has just set a brand-new Mets record. It's his 82nd run batted in of the year. It gives New York a one to nothing lead, and he has just broken Jose Reyes's franchise record for runs batted in in a single season by a Mets shortstop. This week's great series is the Mets against the Braves, and the Braves tuned up for that by sweeping the Marlins over the weekend. That's five wins in a row for the Braves. Their pitching has been absolutely terrific. And on Sunday, Bryce Elder struck out Peyton Burdick in a really good start. Two down, pitch on the way to Burdick. Got him looking, strike three. And that stolen base E2 does not hurt Bryce Elder. That's his 10th strike out of the ballgame. Seven really good innings for Bryce Elder. And William Contreras, who started the All-Star game as a member of the Braves, delivered the go-ahead single in the ninth inning. 3-2. He connects at a little ground ball up the middle, knocked down, and they throw to the plate. Here comes Grissom. Braves have the lead. And the big news over the weekend, the sad news, the bad news, is that Padre shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. was suspended for 80 games for PED use. This is a really bad sign for baseball. Let's hope the game gets through this. His teammates were clearly disappointed by all of this, and his manager, Bob Melvin, had this to say. Yeah, it was right before the game. We had a little, AJ came in and told me uh, after batting practice, we, we met with the players real quick and, um, you know, then went out and had to play a baseball game. So obviously it's disappointing. Um, you know, I haven't talked to Todd yet. I've seen the statement, so it's tough for me to get into detail. 
but you know this is a blow for us and we'll have to move on I'm glad we made the moves we did over the you know at the deadline we feel like we have a really good team still and you know sometimes you have to deal with some adversity as a team it stunned everybody um, but you know it was better than finding out during during the game and then having that go up through the dugout so you know AJ made the right call even though we found out late to talk to the team right before we went on the field obviously we everybody's stunned but it was the you know we feel like we have the team here so you know it's disappointing that we don't get a player back like Toddy we've been waiting for him all year but you know things don't run smoothly all the time and you have to deal with adversity and Padres pitcher Mike Clevenger was even more pointed in his disappointment with Tatis very disappointed. It's uh, you know the second time we've been disappointed with him, and it's just you know you hope he grows up and you know learns from this and learns that it's not just you know it's about more than just him right now. Was there any fear that it'd be a distraction coming into this ball game? You guys seem to still take care of business, okay? Look at this clubhouse. We really don't need anybody else. It'd be nice to have somebody else, but we don't need anybody else. We got everyone we need right here. Does it help that you guys have been doing what you've done all season without him? So. Even though the news is frustrating, obviously, we've been taking care of business. Yeah, no, I mean, we, I think we've been handling it just fine. I think we're going to be just fine, and we got a really good team rolling into the end of the season, and it's going to be exciting to see us today. Taylor, so what are you promoting today? Tim, before we get to Carl, listener, you should obviously continue consuming this podcast, but just like Buster and Tim do on Mondays, it's going to be Tim and Carl on ESPN's YouTube page, so you can watch their segment over there as well as listen to it. A couple other things, as we've been talking about, the captain wrapped up last week with its finale running on Thursday, and you can watch all of those episodes, all seven of them, I believe, on ESPN+. Plus. Obviously, that is about Jeets, uh, five-time World Series champion. You know the drill. So check out the captain on ESPN+. Plus. All episodes are streaming over there now. And... ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions present Moxie Bets. Make bets with Moxie with betting expert Katie Mox and her merry band of gambling insiders as they preview lines, spreads, parlays, and props with personality and the kind of advice they would give themselves. That's Moxie Bets. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. 
They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. All aboard! It's the Revy Train with Carl Ravitch. And I'm joined now by my dear friend, Carl Ravitch, the voice of all things baseball at ESPN, Baseball Tonight, Sunday Night Baseball, College World Series. And this week, the Little League World Series. I cannot wait. Um, Ravi, how you doing? You're playing golf today? I got all that covered uh, and golf today. Yes, we're going to go to one of the great courses in America, Tim. We're going to go play Wingfoot at a charity event. So we're really looking forward to that. It's been a good week. It's actually been a good summer, um, given all the stuff we've, we've done. So we're excited about today, and we cannot wait to see you in Williamsport because you become a different man in Williamsport. For people yeah. that don't know Tim, he's, <laughs> he, he finds a new level. And I, 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 got a, I got a tweet last night, Tim, after the game from somebody kind enough to recognize you know, how much they miss you on our, on our broadcast and on our booth. So we're going to do our best to make sure we can get our booth back together with me, you, and Eduardo Perez, and have a good laugh at it. I, I describe you as a treasure. Do you think that was fair? Are you a treasure? <laughs> no, we'll leave that out. By the way, Ravi's like a three. He's one of the great putters I've ever been around, and even though he'll be up against it at wing foot today, a three is a three. Pretty darn good. All right, enough of that, Ravi. Let's start with last night. Two hours and 15 minutes. What happened? <laughs> I said to David Cohn when we were about to sign off, I said, I think I'm going to have to ask you to stay. I I felt like that was six innings, not nine. It felt a little bit like a Little League World Series game. Look, you know, they they got ahead. Walker pitched a great game. He hadn't pitched since June 28th. He mixed and matched his pitches. He threw change-ups into Aaron Judge. He threw fastballs down. He threw fastballs up. Uh, it, it It was a work of art. Uh, really, from a pitching perspective, and let's be honest, the Yankees lineup was depleted last night. There's obviously no Giancarlo Stanton. DJ LeMahieu is out with a foot-slash-toe injury they're going to deal with today. So all, all the all the factors were in play for Walker to have success, and he's been really good when he's been healthy, but I don't think anybody expected that. And look, the other thing we learned, Tim, you know, Aaron Boone realized we've got a 10-game lead. We're down three-zip. I have a bullpen that I'm not quite sure of. So we're going to send Jamison Tyone back out there for the sixth and seventh innings. He got through them without any problem, which is another reminder sometimes. Starting pitchers do have the ability to go more than five innings or six. That's really what helped the game move along, is you didn't have a lot of bullpen arms coming in until the seventh inning. Both starters were great, and that's what – Gives you a two-hour and 15-minute game if you're lucky. Right. So Judge is now 0 for 14 with nine strikeouts yeah. lifetime against Waka, which is really weird. Did the the Red Sox find anything out about Judge this weekend? I, he's the MVP. He's having an unbelievable year, but they pitched him really well. What was their thinking there? Well, I, you know, Buster and I discussed this last week when he was incredulous. Buster's known to be incredulous. I think you know that at times. So he was incredulous about this this willingness for anybody, and in this case, the Red Sox, to pitch to Aaron Judge. He he really was mind-blowing. Like, why is anybody doing that? And we spoke to Alex Cora before the game yesterday, and I asked him about the Friday night situation. First base was open. 
Judge was up. They ended up walking him, but not intentionally. They were intending to pitch to him. And, and look, uh, my point to Buster, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, is that given all the advancement that, that teams have for their pitchers, whether it's in a lab, whether it's all the advanced metrics, spin rate, blah, 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 they can identify a hitter's weakness. And if you, Tim Kirkshen, execute this pitch, you're going to get anybody out. It doesn't matter if it's Ruth, Bonds, or in this case, Aaron Judge. If you do that, you're going to get them out. Meaning they have, they believe they have the answers to these offensive tests. And Alex Cora is of the mind, if Michael Walker executes, we know where we can pitch Aaron Judge or how to pitch Aaron Judge. We have the advantage in our favor to get him out. And I don't know that they're alone in that. I do believe most teams have the belief. We got all the information. If you go out there and do what you're supposed to do, which, again, eliminates all of the human aspect to this thing, the 50,000 people, the pressure, et cetera, et cetera, that's where the gray area comes. Like, ooh, he didn't execute, and the ball ended up on the mass turnpike. So they pitched to him. I don't think they figured out something no other team is aware of. I just think that they have confidence if you execute the game plan as a pitcher, there's a good chance you're going to be able to have success. Uh, switching gears a little, Ravi, the game plan for the Padres has now changed because Fernando Tatis Jr. has been suspended for 80 games. So where are you on the Padres, on Tatis, and the reaction to his suspension? Yeah, um, look, I mean, the one thing, and we've had a number of Padres games on Sunday night, the, the kind of recurring theme that you heard from members of the organization was we're going to get him back. We're really looking forward to it. He's a great player. There's just some immaturity issues. And I don't associate taking performance-enhancing drugs with immaturity. I generally would ascribe that to stupidity. Um, but I'm not at all you know, bothered by the suspension. I'm certainly bothered by what appears to be a very selfish act on the behalf of Tatis to do something like that. Um, the team paid you a tremendous amount of money and made an enormous commitment to you, and you know you you failed the team. You've let your teammates down. I don't buy any of the excuses. I don't buy any player who thinks that they can get away with saying I wasn't sure what I put in my body, etc. I don't buy any of that. I think you're very well aware as a professional athlete at the highest level what it is that you are putting into your body. So it's a it's just. Like everybody, it's frustrating, it's disappointing, um, it's crushing on a lot of levels that somebody you know, who's coming back would do that. And then, look, Tim, you have to ask yourself, was, was maybe the reason that the recovery was slow uh, was because he needed something else to help get him there? You, you never know what the heck goes on in somebody's mind. But, again, I think it does go back to the same question we've asked many times about the alleged – and those that admitted using performance-enhancing drugs, you sign a massive deal, you're taken care of forever. It doesn't appear as if Fernando Tatis Jr. was using anything prior to that contract. But you ask somebody, was it worth it to those that either got away with it, cheated and made boatloads of money and are set for their life and the rest of their lives? That's a that's a question that I think you know you only you know, can only look at the guy in the mirror and say was it worth it? Do I care? Was it was it too much to get caught? 
and have to live with the Hester Prynne scarlet letter or did I win? I'm good for the rest of my life and I'll try to repair my image later. I, I, I don't know, but that's one of the conversation pieces that comes as a result of something like this. All right, we're going to pivot out of that, thankfully. Um, let's get on. Were you, are you, well, you, I mean, you're a, you're a, you know, you're a pallbearer for Major League Baseball. You know, you're a, you're a pillar here. What was your take on all that? How frustrated, how disappointing, how sad are you when something like I, that happens to a big name? Yeah, I'm sad, Ravi. I'm not mad. I mean, I'm disappointed at, at Fernando Tatis Jr. His teammates are mad at him from what I can tell. Mike Clevenger, Manny Machado, uh, A.J. Preller, they were had some pretty pointed comments. It just bothers me. It worries me. This guy is one of the best players in the game and one of the faces of baseball. And then he goes and does this. This is a bad day for baseball more than anything. I mean, has there been a bigger suspension other than maybe Alex Rodriguez for a whole season. We were supposed to be past this. And now we get 80 games for one of the bright young stars in the game who signed for $340 million. That's what worries me is a face of the game gets suspended like this. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of that, look, I think people, people rightly or wrongly are now going to say to themselves, well, has this stuff been going on the whole time? Is that why he's so great? Again, none of this stuff is fair, but none of this stuff gets asked unless you create this situation. Right. It's fair to ask it now. All right, let's get on to the Little League World Series. Ravi, when I went there for the first time eight years ago, you told me this will be the greatest event you've ever covered. I didn't believe you, and then I did one year and said, this is the greatest event I've ever covered. What is it, Ravi, for you that makes this event so special? All right, so... Tuesday, I will get in the car and make the five-hour drive. And, you know, it's a long ride. But, you know, at the end of the rainbow, there's a pot of gold. And as soon as you pull into that little town and you see those two fields, you, you get a chill. You realize like, this is such a unique experience. And, and I think it's important to quantify uh, what the Little League World Series is relative to baseball. This is not the Major League Baseball World Series. This is different than watching the greatest players in the world do things on the biggest stage at the apex of the Major League Baseball season. This is different. This takes that energy. It takes the enthusiasm of the youth of America. It combines it with kids from across the globe who are all speaking the language of baseball. No other place do you get that combination. And this is the mad scientist in the room who's created what is a euphoric experience for anybody that likes baseball. And the reason we all like baseball, Tim, is not because Rafael Devers can hit a ball 434 feet, because we can't do that. But we can all relate to a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy or girl picking up a glove, grabbing a ball, asking a friend to go play catch with them, getting eight, nine, ten kids from the neighborhood to play a baseball game when there's no right fielder, so you can't hit it to right field. We've all had this shared experience. And here you go into Williamsport, and you're sharing this same experience with the uh, dad or mom sitting next to you on the couch while your son or daughter is laying on the floor and they're watching these kids 
do something that you you know you you look at and you be like, wow, I did that when I was a kid. I never was fortunate enough to get to that place, but boy, does that look fun. That's the whole key is the fun aspect of this thing. And I know I beat that drum. It's fun. The kids have fun. It, it just offers perspective. We're sitting here talking about BSPEDs with major league players. Thankfully, that's never been an issue with an 11 or 12-year-old kid. And you, you've got people from Taipei and Japan and Italy and Australia and Puerto Rico, Tennessee, you know, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, wherever they may be, all sitting there playing a game that you and I, you know, have such an intimate relationship with. And it's a reminder, this is good. This is everything that's good about baseball. Do you have a favorite moment or two from all the years that you covered this, whether it's Monet Davis or whatever along the way? Yeah, I, you know, the Monet Davis moments shine because you recognize, I remember early because we had seen her in Connecticut at the regionals. And I remember telling, you know, Matt Sanduli, who was in charge of the Little League World Series at that point, a good friend of ours who now works for the uh, New York Medicine and SNY, I said, Matt, we're going to have to do a Sunday conversation with Monet Davis uh, when we get to Williamsport because she was such a unique story. You knew that this was way bigger than the Little League World Series. It was way bigger than Little League Baseball. This is a, a seminal moment. You have a black girl pitching at the highest level on a national stage, really a global stage, who's very well-spoken, who's incredibly athletic. We, we've got to make sure people out there get a chance to be exposed to who Monet Davis is as a person beyond who she is as a baseball player. Good Morning America, all the national morning shows ended up kind of figuring out, we, we got to get to Williamsport. We need to do more on this story. She, she was unique that way. The moments that stand out, though, are when, you know, Dave Belisle brought the Cumberland Valley, Rhode Island team there, a couple of, uh, the Cumberland, Rhode Island team there a couple of years. And there was this kid, Tim Tebow. And he was, he was not a starter, but they had used this Tebow time concept every, every game because every kid's got to get in, every kid's got to bat. So, you know, late in the game, it would be Tebow time and they would all clap and Tebow would come off the bench and lo and behold, he, he'd come up with a big hit. And, and again, to see the, the team rally around him to see Belial's enthusiasm when Tebow got a hit, to see what it meant to Tebow standing there at first base looking back at his bench, you know, with one of these, th those types of moments are where I, get where I get chills, and they happen all the time. You know, that's the beauty of the game, too. Right. Ravi, the Little League Classic there has added another great dimension to Williamsport. I just love it when the big leaguers come to Williamsport, the look on their faces. Some, Most of them have never been there before. The right. interaction with the kids is just unbelievable. Chris Archer went there a few years ago with the Pirates. He had had a difficult season to that point, and one of the kids came up to him and said, Aren't you the guy that gives up all the home runs? <laughs> Chris Archer said, yeah, I'm the guy that gives up all the home runs. How much has the big league, little league classic meant to the whole experience in Williamsport? Well, it, it means everything to the kids that are there for sure. And I know that the viewers at home will get a chance to see those looks on the faces of the major leaguers 
and the kids. I mean, this is all out of the mouths of babes when you have kids. And we've started to do this, believe it or not, uh, on Sunday night very effectively when we ask people at home to send in a question that we can ask whoever is wearing the microphone or the earpiece. And you recognize that the people at home don't, don't necessarily have those filters that you would have or I would have or Coney or Eduardo in asking a player a question. And right away, even last night, Tim, the first question that somebody wanted to ask Labor Torres, so how many home runs is Aaron Judge going to hit this year? You know, that's we're not going to put him on the spot. That's a, kind of an uncomfortable, but the person at home didn't care, so they asked it. So when you see those interactions and you talk about Chris Archer and a kid saying, aren't you the guy that gives up all the home runs? It's, it's wonderful. You think about Alex Cora. I mean, if there's somebody who's experienced just about everything in baseball, wouldn't you think it's Alex Cora? Like everything, right? He's done it all. I mean, he's worked for us. <clears throat> he's seen the globe. I said, Alex, your Red Sox are coming to Williamsport. How many times have you been there? Never. He's never been to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So Alex Cora is going to be in Williamsport with the Red Sox, mingling with the team from Puerto Rico. Uh, he, he, he is really anxious. I mean, all of them, Francona, anybody that we've ever worked with who's gone there, leaves with this. It's almost as if you get that spirit rekindled again. Somebody lights that flame if you've at all soured on the game of baseball when you see the Little Leaguers. It rejuvenates you, reinvigorates you. Oh, my gosh. This Now I remember what this is all about. Cora's never been there. He actually said, I got I to gotta call my mom. I think we have a picture because I think Joey went to Williamsport when he was a kid and played. Remember, his dad started the Little League chapter in the town he grew up in. He thinks that Joey played in Williamsport. He's going to look for a picture, but he's never been there. Right. Remember Tito Francona told us the one year he worked at ESPN when he was negotiating his contract with ESPN, he said, I'm not taking the job with you guys unless I get to work the Williamsport World Series, right. which was so right. cool. As he put it, it's baseball meets the county fair. And it's so cool. Right. Now, Ravi, you're the voice of Sunday night baseball. And now you're going to be calling a little league game on Sunday and then a major league game on Sunday night. How cool is that going to be for you to call a little league and a big league game on the same day? It, it's, it's going to be a reminder how different the two games are. I mean, um, you know, I, I think one thing we do with the Little League World Series sometimes is because we emphasize fun sportsmanship. If they make a bad play, look at the sportsmanship. They're going to go up the hill to the grove where they all stay together in the bunks and, the, and say, hey, that's no big deal. We're over it. We're going to go play ping pong. Whatever. I think sometimes we dismiss, and I know you can speak to this, how darn good these Little Leaguers actually are. And we're, we're fortunate. Because anybody that's ever coached Little League like we have or seen Little League games, they're not all played at the level of the teams that get to Williamsport. However, the teams that get to Williamsport are really, really excellent teams. I mean, wait till you see the, the best player from Honolulu this year who's a pitcher who looks like he could play college baseball now. That's, that's how talented and skilled these kids are. So sometimes we take that for granted. But the Little League during the day and then the major leaguers at night with the speed and the size and the power. There are two great contrasts uh, in one in one day 
But again, it's still a bat. It's still a ball. It's still a glove. You still got to make the pitches. You still got to make the plays. Just a really neat experience to be able to call two, two same games and two very different games. Right, and I'm with you on the skill level, Ravi, especially those middle infielders watching their footwork around the bag. And the catchers. Oh, the catchers are great. It is so impressive. You know, in Little League, you can have a big kid just overwhelms everyone because he's bigger and stronger. But when you see these kids who are that skilled, especially around the bag and especially behind the plate, that's what really, really does it for me. All right, I'm going to leave you with this, Ravi. I, I know Kyle Peterson's with us, and there is nobody, and I mean nobody better than Kyle Peterson at this. He is so playful. He is so much fun, and yet he gets it better than anyone. But this year... We've got Eduardo Perez, our dear friend, coming to to Williamsport for the first time. He's never been there, as far as I know. He certainly never called a game from there. What what what's that going to be like when Eddie joins us in Williamsport? Eddie's going to be like everybody else. David Cohn has never been there. David Cohn's going for the first time. David Cohn has five World Series rings. David Cohn's going to have an experience he's never had in baseball before. He's a dad. He knows what it means. Uh, again, dad, mom, uncle, grandfather, the ability to relate to what an 11 or 12-year-old is going through because you went through that when you were 11 or 12, and your entire perspective changes on what they're dealing with and how they're dealing with it and whether they make a great play or they mis- misjudge a high pop. The empathy that you have, the willingness to celebrate, uh, they will – they will, like Terry Francona, say, I want to go back next year. I, I, I want to. We, we're, we're, we've gone to London to cover Major League Baseball games. London is an incredible experience. I guarantee you, as much as people enjoy going to London, those that love baseball, Francona, Cone, Eduardo, yourself, are going to say, I give them the choice. I, I like to go back to Williamsport. I'll go back to London on a vacation, but I, I want to see this group of kids come from around the world, all gather in one place, and just watch baseball starting at 1 in the afternoon, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock. You know, I've had so many people here where I live, Tim, walk up, and, and now that the regionals have been televised, tell me, oh, my gosh, did you see that? They're playing today. Did you see the play that the kid just made from Iowa? Did you watch that game with New Hampshire? Uh, it, it doesn't happen very often. With the major leaguers, there's just an introduction of another group of fans when it's the Little League World Series. And they do it every year, and it's amazing. It's like binge-watching for, as we start on Wednesday and go through Sunday, you binge-watch for that period of time. And then Monday comes, you you flip on ESPN, and and you're like, wait, where do Little Leaguers go? What happened? It ended on Sunday, and there's an enormous letdown. A lot of people look forward to it as much as we do to get there to watch it. It's kind of like the end of the summer. You're gliding right into September. It's it's a really big deal, and it's consistent. It's every year, and it never fails to deliver. I'm with you on that. Let's leave it there, Ravi. I will see you tomorrow. Travel safely to Williamsport and hit him well today at Wingfoot. All right, my friend. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We are joined now by Kyle Peterson, the lead analyst for Little League Baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, breaks down a baseball game, especially a Little League game better than Kyle Peterson. Kyle, thanks for joining us today. You're connecting through Detroit. Is that right? Hi, buddy. Yeah. No, it's it's good to talk to you. I'm, uh, I'm about halfway there, so I'll be there tonight. Right. You've been doing this for a long time, Kyle. What is it about Williamsport and the Little League World Series that makes it so special for you? Well, the kids, to start. I mean, it's just the, you know, the mind of a 12-year-old is a pretty awesome thing. Um, having had three that have crossed that age already, just kind of see there's so many things going on in the world, you know? I mean, you're growing up and schools are changing and uh, the field gets bigger next year. It's just, it's an interesting time of year if you're a 12 year old boy. Um, and then to see him in that environment. And I think just the honest, I don't know, human reactions that you get um, based on things that, that we don't know what we're going to see. I mean, I know you've had a chance to, to be there multiple times now. And the thing that always sticks out to me is you get defensive plays that you never thought you could see a 12 year old make. And then just that honest reaction that happens afterwards is, is I think what keeps all of us coming back. Right. My favorite part is when you do a demo with the kids. What is that like, Kyle, when you, you're out there with four 12-year-olds showing them how to do something, and then they know how to do it? What is that like? Well, it's funny when they actually correct you. I mean, when you <laughs> say something, they're like, no, we're actually going to gonna do it this way. Um, <laughs> no, those things are a blast. And, and, again, I mean, you get a chance to meet them a little bit and be around them and uh, – and every once in a while you teach them something, but <clears throat> so often it's it's more intended for those that are watching to maybe teach a skill that they're going to see these kids do over the course of the next few weeks. I It's one of my favorite days, uh, and it, we'll do it tomorrow. Get them on the field right. and uh, get them moving around a little bit. And their favorite one every year is teaching them how to have a home run, which I've never done in my life, but at least <laughs> we try to teach them how to do it. <laughs> Kyle, this will be my eighth year there, and I've seen – really big changes in the kids in those eight years. What what kind of changes have you seen to Little League Baseball over, say, the last 
10 years or so? The kids, are they bigger, stronger, better, faster, throw harder? What What are the changes you've seen over, the say, the last decade in Williamsport? I don't know if, if, if they're bigger, stronger, faster, or throw harder. I mean, I, I, you know, we obviously have seen that at the major league level. Um, I don't feel like we've seen as much of that at the little league level. I think the the changes, obviously, this year we got four more teams, which is cool. So you get four groups of kids that will experience something that you know, a few years ago they wouldn't have. Um, and obviously one of the biggest changes this year as opposed to the last few years is, is there's going to be people there again. And it was great to be back there last year and have the event after we didn't have it in 20. But clearly it was, you know, it was very different without having fans and the experience that those kids would have. They get that this year, which I think is, is pretty awesome because um, you've seen it. You've seen it firsthand. Like that place just transforms into uh, into something that I don't know that you can adequately explain unless you've been there. Because they're really, and this is probably cliche and it's said too often about too many things, but I know it's certainly true about this. There really is no place like it. Right. Kyle, do you have a favorite moment or two from all of your years that you've covered the Little League World Series? When Monet was there, it was really cool. And I know she'll be with us um, some this week from a broadcasting standpoint, which is awesome. But um, like Monet transformed the country at that point. She was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. She was on Good Morning America just after. And I remember some fans showed up and had like 20 Sports Illustrated that they had gone and bought that they wanted her to sign. And these kids always get a lot of attention when they're there, but I've never seen anything like that. Um, I mean, our ratings would would equate to that as well. But you get a team from Philly that, you know, has a girl that is as good as anybody there from a a pitching standpoint. When she went complete game, that was was one that I'll never forget. Um, The kids from Uganda were there. That was really cool just seeing them. And, and so often it's it's the foreign countries that, um, you know, the kids have never even been in the States, let alone play baseball in, in a situation like that. And you hear their stories and, and what baseball had done to their community back home and, and how it had given these kids a place to go and something to do. They had no background with baseball and so on. Um, but then they look up and, you know, a few months later they're standing on Volunteer Stadium, looking up at, at 10,000 people saying their names. So there's a bunch of them, but those, I mean, those are probably two that go to the top of the list. Right. Kyle, my, one of my favorite parts of the Little League World Series is like watching the Korean team or the Japanese team take infield. I think you can tell a lot about the uh, baseball team by the integrity that the infield that they take. It's absolutely breathtaking to me. Well, tell us what it's like when you watch the Japanese team, so disciplined, so regimented, take infield before a game. It's artistic. You know, I mean, there's certain things that, that you watch in sports that you don't need to really know a lot about that given sport to know that people are good at it. Like, I don't know a ton about soccer, but if I watch soccer, I, I can tell you it's pretty good just because they look good. Um, and I think that's the you know, that's that's the thing, particularly the infield play, I think, um, that even if you don't know baseball, you can watch somebody take infield and go, man, they're, that, that looks different. And they look different when they do it. It is... Um, I mean, obviously, it is practice time and time again, but it's just the the precision at which they do it, the timing, the understanding of exactly who's going where, the pace of it. Um, if you like the game, even if you don't like the game, it's just interesting to watch because it's um, it is it is very well rehearsed. And I'm with you. I mean, I think we've talked about it when we've been there. Like, there's 
I like watching people dig infield anyway because I think sometimes it, it, it gives you a good intro into the game itself. But nobody looks quite like the teams from Japan do when they do it. Amazing. And, Kyle, you're a former major league pitcher. The other thing that amazes me is watching these kids, the pitchers, throw strikes, throw a breaking ball behind in the count. How dazzled are you as a former big league pitcher to watch how skilled some of these pitchers are with a baseball in their hand? I think skilled is a great way to say it because, you know, I mean, velocity, especially at that age, I mean, a lot of velocity is is God-given. I mean, it's – you know, these kids haven't got into driveline and, and things that they may when they get older that can really help you with velocity. So you either have a good arm or you don't have a good arm. It's not a ton you do. But then it's what they do with it. And I think how they fine-tune their ability to throw multiple pitches um, and locate. And it's 46 feet away, and some of these kids are throwing 75 miles an hour. Like, that. that's that's a freak to start. And then their ability to control the strike zone after that. What gets me even more, I mean, I love watching guys take into I love watching the catchers. And I like watching catchers at any level because I, I think it's uh, sometimes it's it's one of the most important parts of what's going on in the game. But catchers at that level, we talk so often about you know what, what your reaction time is and how quick it, it takes for a hitter to have to be ready. It's the same thing for a catcher. And some of these kids are framing it up when it's 75 and on the outside black. That's like a 97, 98 mile out fastball to big mix. Um, so put yourself behind home plate every once in a while and figure out, yeah, it's, it's tough to hit it. And it's not the easiest thing to to catch it on the other side of it, too. And, and that's another thing that every year we'll get three or four, um, that the way that they move behind a plate will remind you guys of the big leagues. All right, last thing, Kyle. Um, as you know, they always send me home early from the Little League World Series. I always leave with like five days to go. They kick me out of there. But ESPN told me we want you to stay the whole time. So this time I get to stay for the Kyle Peterson cookout now are you going to be cooking again are you really good at this i'm terrible we we pray after we eat at my house when i cook Uh, (laughs) what are you cooking what are you doing for a cookout this year well i mean listen it's your first one so i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take i'm gonna take some uh some advice from you 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 let me know what you want and we'll dial it we've done steaks in the past we're thinking about maybe going pork tenderloin and uh and burgers this year to mix it up, and then a wide assortment of sides for you, Tim. So don't worry; you're, you're going to have plenty of plenty of choices. Um, it's always a fun day. And listen, that, like that Friday is the one off day that everybody gets if it doesn't rain, which is rare. Um, but it's uh, it's one that everybody kind of needs to exhale a little bit. So I'm glad you I'm glad you'll be there. As long as the gas works to the grill, we're all set. And if, if you have any recommendations between now and then, I will take anything you got. All right. That sounds great. As long as you're serving baked beans, I'm in. Travel safely to Williamsport, Kyle. I will see you tomorrow, Tuesday. I can't wait to sit in the booth and do a game with you. Nothing. There's nothing more fun in the world than doing that. Buddy, I appreciate it. I'll see you over there. Travel safe. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Timmy. Bleacher Tweets for a beautiful Monday. With your Hall of Fame hold to do your induction ceremony, I'm curious who was the most you you know you you regaled us with your tales of all the famous people you got to hobnob with over that weekend. But who was the most notable non-sports person to congratulate you on your Hall of Fame induction? Well, it was before the actual induction. This was shocking. Coach K, Mike Shashevsky, wow. asked me to be on his radio show. I've never met Mike Krzyzewski in my life, but I've admired him 
from a distance for years. Cause as you know, Taylor, Sarah, I love, love, love basketball. Not like I love baseball, but I love basketball. So he interviewed me on, well, the show was on the Friday before the final four this year. Meaning Coach K had some other things to think about, (laughs) including the last game he's ever going to coach as a collegiate coach. And he took the time to interview me. Now, I was certain that he was he wasn't going to be on the show. It's his show. But Dave Sims was going to ask all the questions. Instead, Coach K asked all the questions and as it turned out who knew he's a big cubs fan so we talked about ernie banks and billy williams and ron santo that was that was quite a thrill for me that a basketball coach who had a few more important things to do took the time out uh, a couple months ago to interview me on the radio that was uh that was an all-timer for me that is incredible. I take it you did not sneak in a, hey, why don't you tell John Shire to put the Terps on the schedule, you know, after after <laughs> avoiding us for years? No, I, I did poke <laughs> fun at, at the University of Maryland where we went, Taylor, a couple mm-hmm. times. Duke beat us badly. Uh, Jason Williams, I'll never forget it. Well, whatever. No, I didn't <laughs> give him any advice. I figured he had enough to think about. Of course. Uh, so we talked earlier a little bit. You mentioned, you know, Buster, he's doing his annual Lake George vacation. He is famously not known for his relaxing or taking time off. You know, Sarah and I, we encourage him, um, you know, to unwind a little bit. You know, the guy wakes up at four in the morning and it's baseball all day. But how have you how do you unwind? Have you gone on any vacations this summer? You know, you also not known for your relaxing. No, I <laughs> I haven't relaxed uh, much this summer. But I must tell you, uh, after my speech was over at Cooperstown, I am a much more relaxed person. (laughs) I should not tell you this again because you've already heard it. I have never been more nervous or more scared in my life than I was when I had to make that speech because you foul that up, you'll never forget it for the rest of your life. So we have a beach vacation coming up in uh, September. I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to make out of it because it's right in the middle of the baseball season. The timing's not good, but we'll go to the outer banks with a bunch of other families. It'll be great. I love doing it. I'm, I'm really not good in the water. I'm not really good on <laughs> land either, but I do like going to the beach. It's the one place where I, I can relax a little bit more. I love to hear that you love to go down the ocean, Horn. Let's <laughs> do a little couple of baseball questions here. Our friend Amy Chapman writes in, which of your preseason predictions were the most accurate and inaccurate so far? Um, she wants to know about yours in particular. And Buster, he weirdly remembers all of his preseason uh, predictions. Do you remember anything like that or anything that you is might be uh, bearing fruit at the moment? No, I, I've stopped thinking about them the second after I sent them in because I don't want to be reminded how wrong I am. 1991 at Sports Illustrated, I had to pick uh, all the stand, you know, all the races before the season started. So I picked the Angels to win the AL West. There were seven teams in the division. I picked the Angels to win, and I picked the Twins to finish last. And at the end of the season, the Twins finished first, and the Angels finished last. So I had them completely reversed. Now, that the Angels did finish 500 that year. It's not like they won 60 games. But ever since then, I don't pay attention to my own preseason predictions, and you will never, 
ever hear me brag about, hey, look at this. I got the AL West exactly right. No, if I got it right, it's because I was lucky. As for the things I got wrong, well, I had the White Sox in a runaway in the AL Central. That's not going to happen, although they could still win. I had the Giants in the playoffs. That's not going to happen. And I had four teams from the AL East going to the playoffs. And even though that's still possible, my guess is I'm going to be wrong about that. It's much better and much healthier to acknowledge how many things you're wrong about than to come on here and tell people, I told you the Dodgers were really going to be good. No kidding. Everybody already knew that. You need to tell Buster. I, have a, I feel like he hangs banners in his house where he's like, ah, all his preseason predictions stacked up. Dylan sees for Cy Young, I think, was his big outlier. And, uh, you know, he could be cruising to, to victory on that one. It's the difference between me and Buster. He <laughs> grew up on a farm getting up at four every morning. That, that'll change you. A lot of time to think about stuff. Uh, let's go to Brad Barber. He writes in, if Tatis Jr. continues on a Hall of Fame track, will his PED suspension cost him the Hall in 20 years? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, again, I if you have a connection to PEDs, there's a pretty good chance, at least at the moment, you're not getting in. I mean, Clemens and Bonds are not in the Hall of Fame. I voted for them every year they were eligible because I thought they got caught at a or they were involved at a different time. Now that we are testing, we are checking, there are penalties, and it is very public. Uh, I think this is going to hurt anyone's uh, Hall of Fame chances if you have a connection to PEDs because it's shown to this point. Now, maybe 20 years from now, we won't care about this anymore. My, my guess for the moment is the voters will still care about this 20 years later. In that vein, Louisville Slugger writes in, with circumstances surrounding Bond, Sosa, and Big Mac, if Judge closes in on 61, shouldn't Major League Baseball celebrate Judge's home run uh, pursuit? Technically, he's not breaking the record, but worthy of celebration nonetheless. How should baseball handle that? Well, let's say he hits 62 home runs. Mm -hmm. That will be the most home runs hit in one season in the history of the American League. That is, without a doubt, worth celebrating. What, what I don't think we should do, and I'm in the vast minority in this, is get into a huge discussion on who is the all-time single-season home run leader. It's just going to bring up a lot of bad issues that people I don't think want to talk about. Barry Bonds is the record holder with 73 home runs. It's right there in the record book. But for people who don't want to believe that, it's okay. We're going to leave this up to our best baseball fans. You determine in your mind who hit the most home runs in any single season. If you think it's Aaron Judge this year at 62, that that's okay too. But the record is the record. And if we start taking records out of the record book, then it's just not going to have the meaning that it's supposed to have. Leave it up to your best fans. Make up your own mind. That's the home run champion of all time. Choose your own adventure for your home run king. Um, Aaron Peters writes in. Uh, he wants to know if the Padres would have made the same moves in advance of the deadline if they had known about Tatis's suspension at the time. That's a great question. And my guess would be, and it's a guess, would be no. I think the reason they gave up that remarkable haul for 
um, Juan Soto was so they could have this remarkable offense for three different postseasons. If they'd known that Tatis wasn't going to be back, maybe they would have looked at it and said, can we beat the Dodgers with the lineup that we have right now? The Padres are still good. They're, I believe they're going to the playoffs, but they're a different-looking team, and they're a dangerous, dangerous team in October if you go Tatis, Soto, Machado every day. Uh, through October, and then you get to do it for two more Octobers. Without Tatis, maybe they they take it back and say, all right, we're not giving you C.J. Abrams. We're not giving you James Wood in this deal. And then that deal doesn't happen. So it's a really interesting question that we'll never know the answer to. All right. Last one for today. Scott Appleman writes in, which is most likely to happen? The Braves overtake the Mets in the NL East. The Dodgers won 110 plus games and the Orioles finished second in the AL East. I think we can strike that last one there. So what about the other two? All right. The Dodgers are going to win 110 games. They were on a pace until they lost yesterday to win 114 games. They are going to break the record, Dodger record, with 107 wins. I think they're going to get to 110. They are 19-4 and four the second half of the season. They just had a 12-game winning streak end, and in all 12 games, they won by multiple runs. They've outscored their opponents by 247 runs. They lead the league in ERA. They lead the league in run score. They have an elite defense. This is the best Dodger team that I've seen in all the years that I've covered, and I think they get better from here once they get Blake Trinan and Walker Bueller and uh, Brewster Gratterall and others. If they're all healthy when they come back, that pitching is going to get even better. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. While you're watching the games, we're going to be back on Wednesday with Sarah Langs in the hosting chair. So send in your questions for her. I'm sure she'll crunch plenty of numbers for the show. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Taylor. Thanks for listening today for the Pinch Hitter. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner. Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.